Thank you, Jan. Great job. Take your Bibles. Turn with me this morning to Galatians chapter number one. We started a new study in the book of Galatians last week. Galatians chapter number one, just after the book of 2 Corinthians and before Ephesians, Galatians. It is not unusual for churches to call on their members to give their testimony, either in a service or a prayer meeting. And in this section of Scripture this morning, the Apostle Paul, in this letter, shares his testimony. And as he tells how he became a follower of Jesus, he is defending himself against the attacks of the Judaizers who sought to discredit his ministry. The Judaizers are saying that Paul is presenting an incomplete gospel by omitting the need to keep the law of Moses. And Paul says that the Judaizers are perverting the gospel by adding legalism. The Judaizers taught that the believing Gentiles really needed to become Jews. That is, the men needed to be circumcised and they all needed to keep the law in order to become real Christians. This is so completely different from what Paul taught that to say something to discredit him had to come about. Thus they claimed that he was a second-rate apostle with a second-hand gospel. They said that Paul did not meet the criteria laid down to be an apostle that we find in Acts chapter 1 and verse 21 and 22 where these individ- the individuals who were selected to follow Judea- Judas's death had to be followers of Jesus, had to be with him from the time that he was baptized, had to be with him his complete ministry, and had to be a witness of his resurrection. So... Although he is an eminently educated man, the Apostle Paul does not begin with a theological or a doctrinal or an academic discussion, but rather he gives his personal testimony as proof of what he says. Paul lays out two inconvertible proofs, facts, that prove that he is bringing the truth. First, because it comes directly from God, and secondly, because it brought about such dramatic changes in the life of Paul. I'd have you look with me at verse number 10 as we look, first of all, at Paul's defense of his ministry. He says, For I now persuade men, do I now persuade men or God? I do, not, do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He first discusses his motive. In essence, he says, no human mind could dream up the plan of salvation that's being presented. That it was too dependent upon God's grace and upon the death of his son. If a human mind was conceiving a plan... This would not be the plan. 
So Paul answers the charge that the gospel is, a, is simply a creation of the, his own mind. Paul did not come to accept the gospel after a process of reflection and consideration. He came to faith because he came to a face-to-face encounter with the risen Christ. His message he outlines in verses 11 and 12 But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Nobody witnessed to the Apostle Paul. He didn't read a track or go forward at an evangelistic meeting. No one discipled the Apostle Paul. No one led him through the plan of salvation. He insists that he was not taught, verse 12, the gospel, and that he did not confer or consult with the other disciples in order to receive it. He did not need to receive the good news by instruction because he had already received it by revelation. Now, presumably, the Apostle Paul had heard some of the facts about Jesus of Nazareth before his conversion. But he rejected them because they sounded like blasphemy. But then he saw that this same Jesus, who had been crucified, now disclosed to the Son of God and the risen Lord. His eyes were opened, spiritually speaking, and in an instant he realized that he could not get right with God by keeping all the laws, but by instead, by coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul received the good news from Jesus himself. The gospel that he preached was not of human conception. It was not a second-hand tale. No, it came to him directly from God. Now, that is a pretty awesome claim, isn't it? What I've received, I received directly from God. And if you're going to make that kind of a claim, you're going to have to have some kind of proof. And Paul provides this proof by pointing to himself. He pointed to the radical change in his own life as the proof that he had received the gospel directly from God. Secondly, we look at Paul's discussion of his spiritual heritage. Now, there's a change in subjects here. When Paul is describing his former life before he became a Christian, the emphasis was on what he had done. Notice he says, I persecuted, I advanced, I was more exceedingly zealous. It's all about self. But his life afterward is something completely different. When he talks about his conversion, once Paul follows Jesus Christ, the emphasis was on what God had done. Now notice he says, and God chose him, and God called him, and God revealed his son to him. The focus now shifts to God. Paul's second dramatic proof that the gospel he preaches is true is his, the, mir- the miraculous life change that he has experienced. 
Paul is living proof that God changes lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote later in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Paul knew that the changes in his own life were not only a powerful evidence of the reality of the gospel, but also of the credibility of his ministry. There are three parts to any testimony, whether it is ours or the Apostle Paul's. My life before Christ, how and when I met Christ, and my life and how it's changed since I received Christ. Now notice with me in verses 13 and 14, his life before conversion. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and how I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries and my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Later in the book of Philippians, Paul set out his religious pedigree in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6, he wrote, circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteous which is in the law, blameless. Paul begins his testimony by reminding the Galatians of who he had been before he was saved. Rabbi Saul of Tarsus. He was a fanatical persecutor of the church. His agenda was to destroy the infant church of Jesus. Saul even consented to the death of Stephen. He continued to create havoc among the church by putting their leaders in prison, and as a result, the church greatly feared him. Not only did he persecute the church, but as a result, it says, he advanced up the ranks within the Jewish religious system. Paul had studied at the feet of the great rabbinical teacher, Gamiel, and his brilliance, and perhaps as a result of his fanaticism in his persecution of the Christians, he was advancing faster and further in the Jewish religious system than any of his peers. He was headed for being a very, very important man. As a Pharisee, he was a member of one of the strictest groups within Judaism. He was even stricter in his legalism than the Judaizers who now oppose him. And then there's his conversion in verses 15 and 16. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace and to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. It pleased God to reveal his son to Paul in a direct and absolutely unique way. It says in Acts chapter 9, 
and verses 3 through 6. And as he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The Lord Jesus spoke to Paul directly on the road to Damascus. And then Paul spent three days without his sight before a Christian named Ananias came to minister to him. It was probably during that time, either on the road or during the next three days, when Jesus brought his gospel to Paul. Paul certainly had the gospel right away because he was both saved and it tells us he began immediately to preach the message that Jesus gave him. Notice, first of all, in his conversion that he is chosen by God. Separated me from my mother's womb. There's an ironic use here of a word, the Greek word that is translated separated. is ironic because the name Pharisee means separated ones. As a Pharisee, Paul before he became a Christian, thought of himself as one of the separated ones. But he wasn't really separated to God. And now through the work of Jesus, he really was separated to God. But listen to the amazing promise that God made through Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, the latter part of that verse doesn't apply to you, but the first part does. You can't say that you've been appointed as a prophet to the nations, but you can say before you were formed in the womb, God knew you. And before you were born, God set you apart. That means God already had a purpose for you. From the moment you were born, God set you apart for a special purpose. And our lives are wasted until we surrender to what God has for us and allow Him to make us into the person He has planned from the very start. Not only is He chosen by God, but He is called by God. He called me through His grace. Now, the astonishing thing is to realize that although Paul has been resisting God and doing so many wrong things, that still God overruled and he used all of those experiences and even his failures to prepare him first for his conversion and then for his call to be a preacher to the Gentiles. God has been preparing us through our failures and in spite of our sins, to become the vessels that we need to be of His grace in this world. No one is so good that they don't need the grace of God, and no one is so bad that they cannot receive the grace of God. Not only is He chosen by God and called by God, He is converted by God to reveal 
his son in me. Jesus revealed in Paul. God revealed Christ to Paul so that he could reveal Christ through Paul. God wants to do more than just reveal Jesus to us. He wants to reveal Jesus in us. And lastly, he is commissioned by God that I might preach to the Gentiles. Does God have a sense of humor? I think he does. Who does he select before he is even born for the job of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles? A man who grew up hating Gentiles and believing that the only reason that they existed was to fuel the fires of hell. So obviously Paul is admitting that he was not predisposed to be a messenger to the Gentiles. He did come, however, to accept that role. And now his life after conversion in verse 16 through 24. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. You know, when a man is energetically and determinedly heading in one direction in life as hard as he can go, and suddenly he changes and even reverses his direction and heads off full speed in the other direction, you know something noteworthy has happened. And certainly that is true of the Apostle Paul. There was no way that a prejudiced, legalistic, fanatical Jewish rabbi is just going to one day decide that he's going to become a Christian, that he's going to become a minister in the church that he once despised and did his very best to persecute into extinction, much less to be a minister to the Gentiles. It says in verse 17 that he spent time in Arabia. He immediately went to Arabia upon his conversion. This event probably happened between verse 19 and verse 20 in Acts chapter 9. Paul did not travel to what we would call Saudi Arabia. It is more likely the the kingdom of Nabatea, known in those days as Arabia. The Nabatean kingdom included the city of Damascus. And it is probably near there that Paul spent some part of three years in isolation. Paul probably lived in some quiet place there, not too far from the city of Damascus. It was also near that place where God had originally given the law to Moses. It may have been that he went there alone to be with the Lord and to reflect on how the law was given and to make, not to make men righteous, but to make men aware of the fact that they needed the free gift of grace. But this could not have been a time that he has taught the gospel because there was no one there to teach him. In verse 17, Paul is 
plain in saying that what he preached, he did not receive through contact even with those in Jerusalem. We can also guess at what the Judaizers are saying about Paul. Since they seem to be from the mother church in Jerusalem, as far as they're concerned, Jerusalem is the only place to get the authentic gospel. In effect, they're saying that either Paul did not get his gospel from an authorized source or that he has departed from it after he received it. They are saying, however, we are for Jerusalem and we have the real thing. Finally, Paul says that he went back to Damascus. It was then that he began to preach the gospel in the synagogues for many days and argue that Jesus was the Christ. Third and finally, this morning, Paul's denial of being controlled from Jerusalem. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was, known, was unknown by face to any to the churches of Judah which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Paul did not make a trip to Jerusalem. He did make a trip, however, finally, after three years. In verse 18, he says he does spend some 15 days getting to know Peter personally. At the time, he says he was not able to meet with any of the other apostles. He did, however, meet with James, Jesus' half-brother, who at the time was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He said that most of the churches in Judah did not even know what he looked like. They had never seen him. But they had certainly heard of him. Verse 24 cites the fact that the people were glorifying God because of Paul's conversion. Because the Lord had converted such a man as Paul, new Christians could not help but give the honor and glory to God. When they heard that Saul the persecutor was now Paul the preacher, they were astonished and even encouraged. Let me close, close this morning by saying every Christian has a testimony. Every Christian has a testimony. A testimony is just recounting what God has done in your life. When a witness is sworn in in court, they are asked to testify. And all they're expected to do is honestly relate what they have saw, heard, and experienced. And that's what your testimony is. You just relate the story of how Jesus has made a difference in your life. There are three parts, just like we saw before. My life before Christ. How and when I met Christ. And how my life has changed since I met Christ. Any of us should be able to take that little three-point outline and write our testimony. Any of us, no matter how educated we may be, 
we'll run into somebody someday who we cannot get on their level academically. Maybe they know more Bible than we do. Maybe they can quote some things that we can't explain. But there is one thing that people who even don't believe the Bible cannot argue with, and that is a changed life. And all of us as Christians should have a changed life that we can give a testimony about. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we feel like that we have to be like the Apostle Paul in that we have to have some dramatic, um, life-changing experience that no one else has experienced. Lord, we recognize that we don't have to have an experience exactly like the Apostle Paul. We only have to have an experience in which we can say, I know what my life was like before I met Jesus. I know when and where I met Jesus, and I ask him to forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm changed. I know I'm a different person today than I would have been had I not met Jesus. In that, we have a testimony We only must share what we have seen and heard and experienced. Lord, help us to be willing to share with the people around us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, what Jesus has done in our lives. Not just something we memorize from rote, but really how Jesus has made a difference in our lives. Father, if there's one here this morning that has never received that free gift, we'd ask, Lord, that you speak to their hearts this morning. Help them to recognize that uh, they are sinners. They can't save themselves. But that Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done. And it's already paid the price on the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray that you might speak to their hearts and help them to make that decision today. For those of us who are saved, I pray that you'd help us to be willing to share our testimony with those around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Brother Steve's going to be here.